My name's Nate. I'm part of the team here at Hope Church. And uh, we are in the middle of our summer series called Solo. How many enjoyed Solo so far? So far, Solo. So good. Awesome, awesome. This series is all about character and integrity, building our lives in God. And if applied, this Solo series is going to take your life so high for so long. Let's say it one more time. Solo series is going to take my life so high for so long. And that's really what we're interested in right here at Hope Church. It's not just success. It's long-term success, lasting success, a lifetime of legacy and success. The Bible says that the race is not given to the swift, but to the steady. Everybody say steady. Ready. Not given to the swift, but to the steady. Race goes to those who endure to the end. Last week, we talked about the race and enduring, and this week, we're going to continue talking about that race. This is long-term, lasting success. Amen, church? You guys ready to run? Come on, we're running in such a way, Paul said last week, to win. We're running to dominate in life. You know, throughout this series, we've been saying that character is the cup that carries the anointing. And anointing isn't some spiritual, crazy, out there, landish thing. It's really practical and relevant. The anointing is simply, Isaiah 10, 27, defines it as the burden-removing, bondage-destroying power of God. It's God's super on your natural. It's his ability on your ability. And character is the cup. Character is the container that carries God's power to people's lives. Without character, you have no trust. Without trust, nobody follows through long-term, right? So integrity is the seed of character. Character is the seed of trust in lives. And that container of character really carries the power of God to people's lives in real life, in real time. We've been saying it's what carries the real party to the real people. Character actually carries you through and carries the real party to the real people. I don't know about you, but I want to get the party that Jesus has done inside of me. I want to get it to the people, and I want it to be believable. I want it to be containable, something that, that you actually can tangibly taste and see that the Lord has been good. That's not just ethereal BS that just sort of sounds good. No, 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 no. I want to get the real party to the real people by a tangible, life-to-the-fullest lifestyle that you can trust, that's real, that's actually not, not selling something I'm not buying, right? Something real. Integrity means to be integrate, integra integrated. Everybody say integrated. integrated. Integrity means to be integrated, right? Integrity means spirit mind, will, and emotions, which is our soul, and our body, you never contradict yourself. Our body, our soul, and our spirit are one all the time. Same person all the time. You are one person, but three in one. Did you know that about yourself? You're one person, but you're three in one. Your body, your soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you are spirit, body, soul, and spirit. God is one, and he is also three in one. And we were created in his image. That's what he means when he says that. And God boasts to Israel in Deuteronomy 6.4, Behold, the Lord your God is one God. He's one Lord. He's God the Father. He's God the Son. And he's God the Spirit. But he's actually all three in one. They never contradict each other. So if you ever heard from one of them, you heard from all of them. If you've ever seen one of them, you've seen all of them. If you've been led by one of them, you've been led by all of them because they never contradict then God says this to his people be holy as I am holy and I was like wow holiness whoa yeah it means to be set apart or to be one holy means 
one. He says, just like I am one person, even though I'm three, three made up in one, I don't contradict myself. I want you to be integrated in the same way. I want you to be body, soul, and spirit, all one, all on the same page all the time. Those of you that invited Jesus into your life, you now have the capacity to fire on all cylinders in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. You have the capacity to really connect. You are a three-dimensional in the fact that your body is now alive, your soul is alive, and your spirit man is alive. The Bible teaches us that without Christ, we are dead. But in Christ, we've come alive. We are made new creations. We are um, born spiritually dead because of the sin that we're born into. So if you're born out of your mother's womb, which everybody was... We were born into sin. So from natural birth, I have a soul that is alive. That is my mind. It's always alive. My will, first thing babies say is no or yes. What is that? It's their will being made manifest through their mouth, right? And then we have emotions. Ever seen a baby not cry? Like hold back tears. Just not be emotional at all. No, if they're hungry, they shout. If they're excited, they shout. If they're laughing, they laugh. They're full of emotions. So they are, soul is active. Their mind, their will, and their emotions, right? And they have a body that's working. So for natural birth, I have a soul and a body that's alive. It's all acting. Obviously, I have my body working. But the Bible says that's only two-thirds of my tank operating in life, my body and my soul, because I'm spiritually dead or asleep. So the Bible calls entering into relationship with Jesus to be born again. People are like, what does born again mean? That's what it means, to be born again, right? It doesn't mean that I get a new body at that time. It doesn't mean I go back into my mother's womb, which somebody asked Jesus one time. I think it's kind of funny. So what am I going to get born again out of my mom's womb? He's like, no, 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 no. You've been spiritually born again. It doesn't mean you get a new mind. It doesn't mean you get a new body. It doesn't mean you get a new will. It doesn't even mean you get a new emotion. It means that you've been born again in your spirit. God has touched your spirit dimension. So when you encounter Jesus and he becomes the Lord of your life and you are born again, you have the same mind you had before Jesus. You have the same will you had before Jesus. You got the same body you had before Jesus and you got the same emotions you had before Jesus. But God has now touched and breathed life into your spirit dimension and my spirit man is awake like never before. It's a whole new creation. The Bible says you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because your spirit man is connected to Christ. You're a brand new creation alive. Those who were dead in sin are now alive in Christ. The old is gone and the new life has begun. But that's not the end of the journey. That's only the beginning of the journey with Jesus. Because now God wants to take what has happened in your spirit, man, to be integrated in the rest of your person. He wants your body to align with your spirit, and he wants your soul to align with your spirit. So right here, right now, on the dog days of August and summer, we are in the process of integration. Every Sunday we come, and we're in the process of integration, letting our spirit, man, rule the roost as you might say, rule our lives and tell our body what to do and tell our emotions, our mind, and our will what to do. That's why Paul said in a previous talk we had, I bring my body and I make it subject, a subject of my spirit. I bring my body underneath my spirit, man. He's the one who's winning in me so that I can be a person of integrity. So I'm the same person through and through. My flesh, my, my body, my carnal, everything soulish about me, it comes in order and alignment so that I can live my assignment out of my spirit. Are you catching me? And I'm the same person. 
I don't have to be two people where sometimes my flesh is winning and sometimes my spirit's winning and around you I'm this way and around them I'm that way. Nope, around you I'm the same person all the time. Around me and myself and I, I'm the same person all the time. If everybody's watching or nobody's watching, I never contradict myself. See, character really has to do with meeting the demands of your reality. Nobody, everybody has a different lens and everybody has a different reality. Your character is about meeting the demands of your reality. When you face challenges and when you face blessing, how do you meet the demands of your reality? You know, some people, they get blessed and they become like a totally different person. And what is that? That means you didn't have the character to handle the demands of a blessed reality. All of a sudden, you're a jerk. You used to be sweet when you had nothing, but now you got something and you're mean to everybody. What is that? It's a lack of character. It's not meeting your new reality. They suffered pain. They went through trauma. They suffered loss. And all of a sudden, they're a totally different person. What's happening? They didn't have character. So in their lowest of lows, they become a different person. It's not just like life happened to me. It's not like I adjust because I'm not the same all the time. And I'm a victim of my life. My life is not a victim of me. So if life happens to me, I go up and down. But a charactered person stays steady. The race is not given to the swift or the really up one day and the down. No, no, but the steady, those who endure to the end. What happened when they came into their greatest day? What happened when their worst day happened? What happened when all their dreams came true? Did they become a different you or the same person in the same destiny even when their dreams start to come true? How has their person, who they really are, kept up with the demands of the reality of God's purpose in their life? Is your person keeping up with the demands of the reality of God's purpose in your life. See, character is having consistency from your core in every single season of your life. Character is being consistent in highs. Character is being consistent in lows. Character from your core consistently. A person with character does not live by what's popular. <laughs> they live by what is principled. They're not looking to make people happy. They're looking to make God happy principles rule over popularity that's why it's very difficult to like believe politicians what is it about politicians why is it really hard for politicians to have character because politics is literally based on popularity if you're not popular you don't get reelected. if you're not popular your career goes down the tank which means you will literally sacrifice your principles to protect your popularity which cancels your character which means you cannot be trusted hence the bad rep all, the, all, all those of the bad rap all those politicians get. Now, I love politics. I love people who are called to politics. I think we need more men and women of God in politics. But I'm saying it's hard to trust something that's popular-driven, not principle-driven. When you see somebody in season and out of season, ups and downs, choose principles over popularity, principles over feelings or dispositions, principles over personality, that person is trustworthy. Even if you disagree with the principal decision they're making, you know you're going to get what you see is what you get. It's consistently in character with who they are. Character is commitment to principles or a set of core values without compromise. Are we, are we, are we committed to core values without compromise? And when you build your character, we want to build it to fit the person you've been created to be. Most of the time, character is like, 
uh, character development. They even have like character training courses in middle school sometimes. It's like, I'm going to character, character education, they call it. And we all learn about kindness and everybody needs to be kind because we're developing our character and everybody's going to choose to be a kind kid. Okay, character is actually customized to the weight and the height and the speed at which your life is led. Character is not just one size fits all. You think kindness is just kindness for everybody. But actually, kindness looks different, and it's customized according to God's purpose for your life. And when you build your character, you want to build it to fit the person that you've been created to be. For example, if I am a general, and I need a fleet of jets, okay, and I go to Boeing, and I'm like, Boeing or some jet manufacturer, would you please make me a fighter jet? They would say, okay, what do you want this jet to do exactly? I said, well, I want it to go from zero to breaking the sound barrier in 60 seconds. You're like, okay, gone in 60 seconds. I get it. Zero to breaking the sound barrier. The engineers would say something like this. The character of the design of this kind of jet needs to be made a certain way. Otherwise, it can never handle the speed or the G-forces that zero to, six, zero to sound breaking in 60 seconds would take, right? Like, oh my gosh. You're going to have to character that design to handle that kind of speed, and other things will be sacrificed in order to get to that speed. So its characteristics have to match what it's going to do. I just said, so your character has to match what you're going to do. Your characteristics of your design has to match the do that you were created to do. But if I say, hold on, wait a minute, I don't want that kind of jet, not the speedy one. I want a jet that will fly to the highest heights and below zero temperatures and then be able to swoop down into the desert in Utah and take that change in heat. And they would go back up and they would say, okay, now we're not going from zero to breaking the sound barrier. Now we're trying to handle every different kind of climate. So the characteristics of the material used will have to be adjusted to handle that kind of climate change. It's customized characteristics. If I said, no, 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 actually, I don't want that jet or the other jet. I want a cargo jet. And I want you to carry like seven tanks at one time. I mean, I want to carry massive amounts of weight. I don't care how fast it is. I don't care about climate. We're just going to take it from this city to that city. We got a big old runway. Put as much weight in it as you can possibly handle. And the characteristics or the design of that jet would have to be made much different. Are you catching what I'm saying? So I'm asking you, do you have the characteristics? Do you have the design? Do you have the makeup to accomplish the purpose with which you were uniquely created for? Because that's what character is. Character, again, is the makeup of an inner person to meet the demands of the reality of the purpose that God has called you to. Because nobody can live your reality for you, and nobody has the same purpose that you have designed by God for you specifically. And many times, <laughs> that's what we say. Your gift cannot, can actually take you somewhere. Your gift can actually take you somewhere that your character cannot keep you. Your, your gift lets you move at a speed that your character of your makeup can't handle. And so you go super fast, and it looks like success, but it's actually tearing apart your wings because your character is not built for that kind of speed. So it's really high, and then it's what we call short-term success. You go really high in the company, and all of a sudden everybody sees all your faults, and you have no character to back up the height at which you're living. 
It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you have no model mentality. You have no character. You have nothing to sustain there. It's like, oh my gosh, they got to a really high spot with nothing built underneath them. And you inevitably fall out of the sky. Because you weren't meant to go super high and then swoop super low. Your character can't sustain the climate change. Are you catching it? When our gift moves us into a reality that our character can't sustain, all of a sudden there's a shift. It's no longer your gift that's being pulled on. Your gift is great. Your speed, your height, your depth. I mean, all the ways that you can carry the huge load at work. That's great. You got a gift, but you can't carry the demand that's put on you. And it's really the style of the jet. It's how the jet was built. It's how it was put together. It's how strong the metal is. It's the development process which is what we're all in, a character development process. And maybe you have a great future, but it's not moving as fast as you want it to move. And you got to wonder why. Because God knows if you're going to go high and if you're going to carry a lot of weight and you're going to go fast in life, he's going to have to take some time building characteristics within you to handle that kind of challenge and demand put on you. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do all these things, you got to have something within you to handle the pressure the demands that are put on you. Somebody who's going to be developed but knows your life is going to greater heights. Come on, in this room. You know you're going to carry great weight. You know you're going to handle acceleration coming. Go ahead and give your God a praise because you're going to get there, but you're going to be processed to handle it when you get there. So when you get there, you can enjoy what you got, and it doesn't fall apart on you. Many times people get what they always wanted, but what they don't have what it takes within to handle what's Without, with, on the outside of what got them there. Because your gift can take you places that your character or the cup can't carry the weight. Come on. I know, I know, I know. How many of you guys believe uh, that God has greater things in store for you? Come on. That, knowing that, allows me to go through the process of getting there a lot happier. Without comparing myself to other people's gifts or other people's character. Because it's a custom fit character for the purpose that he has for me. And we're not all building the same character to perform the same way. To say your gift and my gift are the same and we're going to perform the same way. We just need to build kindness into our life. It's just not real. And it kind of sets everybody up for failure. But to know that your character is being customized so we don't all need to build it the same way. But we do need to, the character to meet the demands of our own personal reality. Personal pressure personal purpose. So I want to ask you, are you the person that your purpose demands you to be? Here's a better way. Are you becoming the person that your purpose is demanding you to be? Because you're not in your full purpose yet. So are you becoming the full person that can carry the full purpose? Because we all just agreed, come on, that we have more in store. From a good God who sees more than just where we're at now. He sees our potential. He sees our ability. And he sees our gift. And he wants us to get to lasting success with all of it. So are you becoming that person that your purpose demands that you be in the future? Your purpose demands that you increase your staff from 8 to 50 people. And right now, you're managing 50 people. Or you're managing 8 people. And you know. So what kind of person would you have to be to serve a staff of 50 where you're limited right now at 8? But you know your purpose is taking you there. Your multiplication is taking you there. You'd have to be a delegator, and you stink at delegating. Does that make sense? So the person you are who doesn't trust anybody has to develop into a delegator. 
a person who gives trust and empowers people. So I'd ask you, what are you doing today to become that person that your purpose is demanding of you? We could say, your purpose demands that you be a kind of person that can build and balance budgets. And you're always like, forget the budget. Let somebody else do the budget. Somebody else is more gifted. But if you don't learn to build and balance a budget, what are you building today that meets the demands your purpose is going to put on you in your next, in your future? Because right now, it doesn't matter. But when you're dealing with what you're dealing next with in your purpose, it matters if you can build and balance. So your character is being built to match the purpose. So does your person meet God's purpose for your life? How many of you believe he still has great things in store for you one more time? Come on. I believe it with all my heart. Great heights need character to live at. Huge weight to carry, you need character not to drop that thing. Accelerated speed, you need character to keep up with it. Are you becoming that person that matches your purpose? I'd go ahead and write that down. This is the talk. Become the person now that matches your next purpose. Become the person now that matches your purpose next. Person you are must be built to match the purpose you have. It's kind of like a vision without values. No matter how great your vision is, it can be destroyed if you have no core values beneath it. Building your character is one of the only ways to actually protect your vision for your life. Building your character is the only way to ensure security for your purpose being done. See, Samson, he had an awesome vision and an awesome purpose from God. He had great weight put on him. He had great heights to perform at. And he had great strength to go at fast speeds. He was gifted. I mean, God gifted this man with supernatural strength, and he could take on armies single-handedly. And that gift was supposed to be for the purpose of saving the people of Israel. But he was so weak on the inside, it destroyed his life and his purpose. His private life destroyed his public purpose. And all of us probably know somebody in our minds where their private life, it looked great. It was going fast, new heights, great strengths. I mean, great speed, great weight was being carried. And their private life destroyed their public purpose. Joseph, on the other hand, he was trusted by God with a gift of leadership. And he wasn't the strongest, so everybody's kind of pushing him into things. He's always being tossed around by people. His brothers tossed him into a pit and then tossed him into slavery. His brothers threw him in a pit. And, and then his boss's wife threw him down on her bed. And he's trying to seduce him. And she accused him of rape. So Potiphar threw him in prison. He's getting tossed around in this process of what is this process? Character development. Because it was his character that brought him to the top. And every time something, life happened to him unjustly, he didn't whine about it. He embraced it. And he said, I'm going to build something out of something miserable. I may be sold into slavery. I'm not mad at my brothers. I forgive my brothers. I may be accused of rape and somebody's coming after my character, my integrity, my name. But I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to let my life defend myself. I might have been thrown in prison for a crime I didn't commit. It was his character being developed. So he could handle great heights, great weight, great pressure, and great speed. And it seemed like it took forever, but this was actually an accelerated process for Joseph. It wasn't long before he had a dream of being a leader, used by God to lead his family, his brothers, his dad, and all the nation, and him actually doing it, opposed to Samson. 
See, he had so much character that when he was accused of being a rapist and thrown into prison, it was such a joke. It was so obvious. They let the rapist have the keys to the prison and manage all the criminals. That's how your character will take you places that your gift doesn't even recognize you yet. I'm a gifted leader. I'm a gifted leader. I was born for greatness. But his character was actually carrying him to his purpose. He was becoming the right person so he could handle the weight and the pressure of his next purpose. He was destined for great heights. He was destined to carry great weight. He actually saved his people, all these people, at a great speed. The difference between him and Samson was what he built within. One was strong on the outside, weak on the inside. The other was strong on the inside and weak on the outside. He was known for being a man of integrity and character, and it was his character that brought him to the top. My Bible says God looks at the inward man. People look at the outside, but God is developing your, and, and, and rating your success based on what's happening on the inside. And he surrendered to the process of his inner person being built. And it is a process. And he surrendered to that process for years and years and years of his inner person being built to handle the pressure of his future purpose. So when he got there, it lasted. He reigned in Egypt, most powerful nation in all the world, longer than his brothers ever had to throw him in a pit. Right? Sorry. Choked for a minute. We'll have to cut that out. You know what I'm saying? Samson, he lost the battle within. And had short-term success. But Joseph, he won the battle within and had lasting success. That's what character is built on. That's what long-lasting success, I mean, long-lasting success is built on character. James is trying to help us win the battle within. And he's going to point us to some scriptures that are very pointed to help us win to get to our better purpose. To become the person that can handle our purpose. In James 4.1, he asks this question. Where do quarrels and disputes and wars and fights come from among you? That's what he says. James says, why is there all this drama? And where is the conflict coming from? And he says, do not they come? Don't they come from the desires or for pleasure that war in your members? Members simply means body or flesh. Spirit, soul, flesh. Members. Where are the things you pursue coming from? Where are the dreams that you're getting coming from? Your flesh or your spirit? Your flesh always runs away from the things of God. Your spirit always runs towards the things of God. Where are your desires for pleasure coming from? Your flesh, your carnal man, your members, your body, or your spirit? The word desire here is hedonism. Hedonism means forsaking all other things to fulfill one thing. It speaks to addiction, twisted passions, where you'll sell everything just for that one thing to be satisfied. My flesh needs to be satisfied. So where do all the conflicts come from, he says? It comes from a hedonistic want to, a hedonistic desire within people that will sell everything to please that one thing, gratification. And again, James isn't talking to non-believers. He's talking to Christians. He's not talking to heathens. This letter is written to a Christian community, people who have been born again, in their spirit man who believe in Jesus. But he says there's strife and contentions and quarrels among you in your real life, and I want to help you solve the problem because Jesus and a life led by the Spirit is a life to the fullest, and you're living in all this strife. There are things inside of you that can sabotage every great thing that God wants to do in your life if they're not addressed. So I want to ask you today, not to condemn you, but to really pull you out of this pattern and say, what is it in you 
that's keeping you from being the best you that God has created you to be. I don't want to hear about the devil blocking you or people being the problem, right? I'm not talking about external things. What is it in me that's keeping me from being the best me that God has intended for me to be? James said it's these passions that come from unsanctified desires. And then he starts talking about humbling yourself in verse 10. That word humble yourself means to place yourself under your spirit man. In other words, there are places in my body and in my soul that are just never been brought underneath my spirit. There's places in my body, my flesh, and in my soul, my mind, will, and emotions that I have refused to bring under the leading of my spirit. And he's saying your faith is actually compartmentalized to Sundays and spirit. The challenge is, what he's saying is, you're not integrated. You got two over here and one over here, and they fight each other all the time. You compartmentalized your faith to your spirit man. Because you've never taken your spiritual life and uh, actually enforced your body to be subject and your soul, your mind, will, and emotions to come under as well. And you will not let it, let these other areas come under the soul and body. Therefore, you're saved, yes. You're born again, yes. You'll go to heaven, yes. But here on earth, in the meantime, you live in the world of self-sabotage. We're talking about building character. We're talking about building a purpose that does not destruct. We're talking about building the person that can handle the pressure of being in the next purpose. And he's saying the problem is when your body and your soul are at enmity with your spirit, you're actually going to self-sabotage. And you'll have Jesus, but you'll have a form of godliness, but no power to live in life to the fullest. He's trying to help us. He's not trying to hurt us. Because you can't get out of your own way. You're like Samson in slow motion. Your flesh runs your body. You do great things, you got great gifts, but you're inevitably coming to a crash where you are blind, dumb, and deceited, like deceptive. It's just not going to work out well for you. Verse 3, you ask and you don't receive, he says. It's like it works for everybody else, but it doesn't work for you, this Jesus-following thing. Because you ask amiss. I ask God for stuff, and I'm talking to God, and I'm praying, but you ask amiss that you may spend on your own pleasures. In James chapter 1, he says... You have not because you ask not. So that's the first chapter. Now we're in chapter 3. He says, if many, any man lacks wisdom in chapter 1, let him ask of God, and God will give you wisdom freely. So he says, you have not because you ask not. And now in James chapter 4, he's shifting gears, and he's saying, we got a different problem. It's not with the asking. Great job, everybody, praying. But it's where you're asking from. You're asking from the wrong place internally. So it's possible that we allow unsanctified passions and desires to hang out in our soulish man and our flesh man and bring us before God and cause us to start slapping God stickers on fleshly desires. It came from my body, it, or my, my carnal flesh. It came from my soul, but I'm just going to slap it on my spirit and it's going to look like a good thing. But it's a carnal desire. Pastor, I want to be wealthy. Why? Who's driving the wealth? I believe you should be wealthy. I believe God wants you to be blessed. I, I, I know, believe wholeheartedly that he wants every single one of his kids to have more than enough to be blessed, to be a blessing. 100%. But why do you want to be wealthy? You have to answer the why or the what will not last. Even if it's about relationship. I want this kind of marriage. Why? 
so you look good and everything's perfect or because you want to grow and you actually care about other people. You have to answer the why or the what will not last. You'll sabotage yourself. And you'll have a form of godliness going to heaven, but lack the power thereof to have life to the fullest on earth. See, God could give you the what tomorrow, but you'll sabotage it. We see this with people who win the lottery. God bless them. I mean, they get all this money, and they get the what, and and their why. They self-destruct and sabotage, and they end up right back where they started, or worse off. The prodigal son, we see him get half of his father's inheritance, but he wasn't able to keep it. He wasn't able to sustain it. Why? Because of his character. He had all this money he had coming to him, but because he did not have the characteristics or the character developed within him to sustain that kind of success. So he got the success, but he couldn't sustain it. He got the what, but there was never a why beneath it. His father had grown all the wealth, and the journey gave him strength to sustain it. See, when you make it, you got to know what, what you got in you that caused you to make it. Or else you're going to be standing on a platform that will inevitably drop from underneath you. The prodigal son never had to work for the wealth, so they didn't have character makeup that it took to keep the wealth or work the wealth for him. So he lost everything within days, within months. Just wasteful living. You may have had the desire to get the what, but if your desire is not in the right place, you can't keep the what when you get it. So you have to ask, why? Why are my prayers, where are my prayers coming from? Why do I want what I want? I want God to give me a big platform. Why? I want God to give me a lot of money. Why? For real, why? I want God to, to, to use my gift in an amazing way. I, I, I want everything to work out. Why? I want God to give me great influence and great favor with people. Why? Is it because of something your spirit's doing on the inside of you? Or is it because of hedonia, which is earthly, fleshly pleasures that you're just slapping God stickers on? Soulish or fleshly desires. Because God stickers, I want to, I want to, I wanna, really want a great platform that, so I can tell people about Jesus. But what's the why, for real? Like, where is the desire coming from? It has to be answered. James says the reason you ask and you don't get it is because God knows why you're asking for it. I think this is in the verse. He doesn't look at the outside. Again, he looks at the inside. He isn't fooled by the sticker on top. He's not like, wow, they're doing all of that stuff for me. And it's not real. You can't fool him. He's looking at the core underneath. So first James asks, uh, where does all the strife coming from? Then he says, it's possible you've been born again, but you're still operating out of your flesh. And when you come before God, your body and your mouth and your mind are praying, but not your spirit. I wonder how many of us pray out of our mind and it makes sense. And we pray out of our mouth, so great job praying and asking. But it's coming from your, your body, and it's coming from your soul. But how many of us are praying out of our spirit? That's why the Bible says, pray in the spirit always. Transcend your body and your soul. Get past what you think is important. Get past what you think you want. And, and pray out of your spirit, man, that's always pursuing God. Pray his thoughts, his will, his emotions, his body. Pray what he's interested in. And that's what he means. He says, pray in the spirit always and cut right to the chase. Alignment. Get in alignment so you can fulfill your assignment, controlled in integrity through this spirit man. The next verse he says, adulterer, in other words. You're cheating on me. Adulterer and adulteresses. 
Because you're still letting the enemy have your body and your soul. You're still letting your flesh dominate your body and your soul. You're not surrendering them to your spirit. Quit cheating on the part of you that's pursuing me. That's the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That always, always has in things, mind the things of God. Quit cheating on your spirit. Stop listening to these two. If we keep reading James 4, 5, it says, Or do you think that scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. Give me what's mine. Soul, body, come under subjection. Come over here. The spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. You know what he's saying? He's saying every time you operate out of an unsanctified desire, he says your spirit, man, is deep down on the inside of you screaming, let me win for once. Unify around me. Unify on me. Be integral. Come my way. Stop listening to your flesh. I'm jealous for full attention to be turned towards God's desire. That thing I awakened in you, that thing that came alive, that thing that was brand stinking new. In other words, your spirit is saying, I know who you really are in Christ. I know what God really wants you to do with your life. I know how great you really can be. But you're so covered up in all these stupid stickers. You're so covered up in what you want. You're so covered up and you're bringing all these desires to the surface that aren't from God and slapping them on your spirit. And I can't get out. My spirit is so covered. And your spirit says, I'm buried way down in here. Let me through your soul. What does that mean? Let me infiltrate your thoughts. Paul says, we are renewed by our thinking. He, let me say, he says, let, let your spirit transform the way you think. Let your spirit transform your willpower. Let your spirit transform your emotions. Let him rule your emotions. Let me operate through your hands and your feet. Spirit saying, get me out of here. Let me be the hands and feet of Jesus through your body. And he yearns jealously. Let me out. I've been predestined for great works. I know what you're capable of. I know what your gift is for. I know you just got to be integral. Come on, gather around, unify, rally on me. The verse is saying, don't you know that the spirit who is in you, he doesn't want to stay here? He wants to be integrated into your soul and integrated through your body. Why? So that you can offer your body a living sacrifice, holy and set apart, acceptable unto God. You've aligned yourself with God's passions and God's purpose, and you actually live in life to the fullest as it was meant to be. You don't just survive to get to heaven. You have heaven right here on earth because you're one. You're integral, and every day is a freedom day. See, I want you to live free, not just dabble in freedom on Sundays. I want your spirit to win every single day. Romans chapter 7 gives me hope because it describes a conflict. And it's a conflict that nobody really wants to talk about. It's a conflict that most people don't want to acknowledge in Christianity. And to be honest with you, it's a conflict that theology has thrown off to its true meaning. Romans 7.14, it says it like this. Paul speaking, for I know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal. I am fleshly. I am driven by my body. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Paul. This is Paul. Paul. Paul the Pharisee who did all the right things for all the wrong reasons for years but could never talk about it. This is Paul. Okay? The guy who slapped God stickers on his gift and said, I'm murdering Christians in God's name. And he went around killing Stephen and other believers, hunting them down and killing them. 
And he was on a mission from God like the Blues Brothers. He couldn't be caught. This is self-righteous, pharisaical Saul who became Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. (laughs) He's saying, after meeting Jesus, I am carnal. This is Paul who met Jesus, was completely transformed. I mean, he was given a new name from Saul to Paul, a new identity in Christ, a completely new creation. The old was gone, the new has come to birth, teaching the same people that he used to torture and torment and murder. Now he's teaching people he used to torment. Do you think they have trust issues? You killed my Uncle Louie. How can I believe a word that comes out of your mouth? This is Paul. This is Paul who wrote over half the New Testament. Building trust. Paul who was born again. Saved by a grace experience. Well, this isn't the grace. This is the grace of God. He experienced. He had it. He was writing a letter to the church in Rome. And he starts by saying, I want to own something. I'm carnal. Wow. Paul is the most saved person I know except for Jesus. We'll just say it. He's amazing. I am carnal. And for you to ignore the reality is to be like, yeah, I'm better than Paul. I'm not led by my carnality. The word carnal does not mean evil. It means fleshly. Next verse. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do in my soul, that I do not practice. My mind, my will, and emotions want to go one way, but I don't do it in my body. But what I hate, I end up doing. Listen, he says, now that you've been born again, God has a desire that he's put within your spirit. He says, my inner man, I want to do the right thing, but I end up doing something else that I hate and I can't seem to shake. If then... I do what I will not to do. I agree that the law is good. Next verse. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwelling in me. Oh, my goodness. This guy knows Jesus. He's saying he's got sin dwelling in his flesh. He's been born again. he got sin all up in his life. He said, but I keep on sinning. It's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. Well, it cannot dwell in my spirit because my spirit has been completely born again. Are you catching that? But I'm still a soul, and I still have a body. And Paul says in verse 18, If I keep doing things I know are not what I want, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. And if you're wondering if that parenthesis is in the Bible, it really is. It's in your Bible. For I know that in me, that in my flesh, nothing good dwells. I want to say it one more time. In my flesh, nothing good dwells. It's got to die. I got to sacrifice. I got to put it under subjection to my spirit. This thing is killing me. The will is present within me. That's his soul, my will, my mind, my emotion. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. (laughs) So it's that battle between his spirit and his flesh. Where is the performance? The performance is really a decision in the head or the soul, my will and my mind. And then the body performs it. Look what he says. I have a desire to do the right thing. I love Jesus. I'm a great Christian. But the decision I make to follow through, I cannot find. Listen, he's saying my godly passions and what I actually end up doing are in conflict. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. The evil that I will not to do. That is what I end up practicing. See, your soul and your body are so tight. You know why? Your soul and your body are tight. They're best buddies. Because they've been dating long before your spirit ever came alive. You've been taking orders from your body since you were zero. And you just automatically let your soul align with your body. They've been, before your spirit ever came into the picture, ever was awakened, ever came alive, you've been dating your body with your soul. 
Next verse, verse 20. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it. These are our different verses. I just want you to catch this. He says a second time, I can't do what I want to do. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present within me, the one who wills to do good. Now he's gone from desire to a law. He says, I have like this force, like this law. He said, it's worse than just a want to. He says, I'm finding out that I literally have a force working against my spirit within me. For I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. Verse 23, but I see another law at work in my body, my members, my flesh again. And I see another thing warring against my soul, my mind, bringing me into captivity with the law of sin, which is in my members again. Now, this might sound like a whole bunch of gobbledygook, and you might be like, man, Pastor Nate's really relevant most of the time, but this message is just all over the road. I want to tell you, Paul is not bipolar. Paul is not struggling with schizophrenia. Paul is not a crazy person, and I'm not demeaning or demoralizing those things in any way. I'm just saying, he is not crazy, okay? But he's trying to describe something that produces integrity so that we can have a handle and hear what it sounds like to be healthy and address issues within yourself. He's trying to give us a handle to not be crushed by what we were created for. So we can be one person in body, in soul, and in spirit all the time. And that that would yield to the spirit in you, the spirit of God that's alive. So he says, the law of sin is in my body. I will to do good in my spirit. But this thing wars against my mind. Body, spirit, soul in the middle. And because he gets the best of me, it brings me into captivity. My flesh brings me into captivity. If you caught nothing else, let's put that last verse up there. Bringing me into captivity. What's the purpose of character? Purpose of character is to be the cup that carries the anointing to break people out of captivity. If we're going back to the original thought. Here we go. All the way back to the beginning. You're developing your character to set people free including yourself. He says, I've been in captivity. And what breaks that? Character carries the anointing that breaks unity, integrity, being one, breaks that captivity off of your life. Because I want to get out of captivity. If you caught nothing else, just notice that this feels like entrapment. It feels like I'm a captive to myself. And you might say something like this, Pastor, my life is all tied up. I have Jesus. I know Jesus. I'm a new creation. I believe everything he says. But my life is literally in knots. I'm in bondage, a captive, to be two different extremes. I want to tell you, you're not crazy. It's not the devil that's got a hold of you. It's not other people that are holding you back. You're held captive. You're all tied up from within because you never integrated your spiritual experience with Jesus into the rest of your person. And herein lies the conflict of I love Jesus, but all this garbage keeps happening in my life and I keep finding myself in a mess because your desire or your hedone, it's driven from somewhere. If it's driven from your flesh, it's hedone. If it's driven from your spirit, it's God desire. And here's the thing, when you get saved, your desire doesn't get saved. When you become born again, your desire is still in the middle and has to choose from an unsaved perspective. And that's why... You have to make sure your desire is coming from over here. The desire to be wealthy has to come from God and not your fleshly desire. 
Desire for circles of friends that you have has to come out of God and not your fleshly desire. Isn't that crazy? You hear this, these stories of this woman. I, I just This one woman comes to mind in particular. She was abused by her husband. She finally breaks free from that captivity. And guess what she finds in two years? The same exact relationship in a different person who looked completely the same. Completely different when she married him. Not only has she been abused once, and I'd like to say, just because you love Jesus doesn't mean your flesh doesn't keep entrapping you in the same stinking relationship. Different face, different name, same problem. And who put you there, sweetheart? Your fleshly desires. Because you chose the person you're going to marry out of the same fleshly desire you chose the first time. And what you felt you were worth. And what was attracted to you. It came to you again. Isn't it crazy? All your friends betray you. And you cut them out and you move on and another set of betrayers come. And you find other people who have just great friends and they have friends for a lifetime and they never get betrayed. What is that? It's your fleshly desire making decisions to find the wrong kind of people. You're not being led by your spirit. You love Jesus. You love Jesus. But you're being held in captivity to your relationships through the hedonic. That's the word for it. Fleshly desire within me causes me to keep ruining my own life. This is called self-sabotage. We didn't read all these heavy verses for nothing. We're trying to save you from self-sabotage. To build a character of integrity out of your spirit that doesn't leave you in a pile of tied-up captivity. And until God and your spirit man has been integrated into every part of your life, you will have this conflict where you promise life to the fullest, but you get life to the least. you got to shift the desires. He goes on to say this, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body, this flesh, this carnality of death that keeps ruining my future and my life? I get what I want, but when I get what I want, I don't want what I got. I get the position and it crushes me. I get the wife and it blows up. I get the kids and it ruins me. I get the pressure and it destroys me. Who will deliver me on this body that keeps making these death decisions? Remember, this book is written to a, a whole bunch of Roman believers. How did the Romans execute people? Through crucifixion. A lot of times. I mean, they had a lot of ways. But Jesus was executed in Roman style, not in Jewish style. And Paul's writing to Romans. So Paul brings in this Roman crucifixion imagery. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? If you murdered somebody in Rome, oftentimes they would take the carcass of the person that you killed and tie it to you, neck to neck, torso to torso, foot to foot, leg to leg, arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, and you would walk around with that dead body against your great body until the gangrene had eaten up that body, began to consume you, and you died the same death of the carcass you were carrying. And Paul is talking about this imagery when he says, I feel like every day I'm dragging around something that's killing me on my back. Oh, wretched man that I am, this gangrene is destroying me. Who will deliver me from this body of sin? Come on, I find so much hope in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord that with my mind, with my mind, I can be set free from this body of death. I can serve the law of God. The thing in the middle, my mind, my will, and emotions can cut that thing off. With my flesh I serve sin. He's saying, who will deliver me from this body? 
I'm walking around all day, this thing wanting to kill me, this thing wanting to consume me from the inside out. And he takes it back to Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their mind. They set their mind on the things of the flesh. That word set is a medical term that refers to a doctor resetting a bone that's been broken. So in other words, he says, for those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, God is telling you, your mind has been broken by your flesh for so long. So he wants to take it and he wants to reset it on your spirit, man. He wants to break your mind the other way and reset the bone to be functional and not broken for the rest of your life. Making decisions out of your spirit. Reset the mind. Reset the will. Reset the emotions. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded over here in my flesh, it's death. But to be spiritual minded is life and peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind, the fleshly led mind, is the enemy of God. No, Satan is not the enemy of God. He's the defeated foe. He's a joke to God. The thing that's God's enemy is the fleshly-led mind. It's not subject to God. This is the process of integration we're describing. Process of character development. So in James 4, 7, he says, submit yourself to God. This is the original text. Submit yourself to God. The word submit means to place yourself under your spirit, which is always following God, because you get to decide whether or not you are coming under this. Verse 6, come on. He says whether or not you come under the dominion of your spirit, man. It's not up to God. It's up to you. God will never make a decision for you to be led by your spirit. He will only, only renew that thing, do all that. He's already done everything he's ever going to do for your life. The decision is yours. Will you be led by your spirit or your flesh? He says, submit yourself to God and a devil will flee. Verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up higher. Humble means to come under. Humble yourself. If you got something that keeps on dragging you down, humble yourself before the Lord, your spirit man, and he will lift you higher than what's pulling you down. Place it under the dominion of your spirit. Let your spirit man integrate to his want to for your purpose. And let your person align with the purpose of God in your life. Say, finally, my whole person, the whole thing is coming into alignment under the assignment of the purpose that God has for me. And God will turn around. He'll take that same place and he will lift you back up. There is hope in here, people of hope, that if we find our, our, our person lining up with God's purpose, we don't have to carry around this body of death. We dominate. We dominate our flesh. We bring it under subjection, and we win the war in our mind, our will, and our emotions. Our soul is set free.